Here, let's grab our Bibles. Go to Luke chapter 17. If you have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back on the back table. I always say, take one, keep it. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to see the scriptures, read the scriptures. We believe that uh, this book is the only perfect thing that God has given to us outside of the personal work of his son Jesus, who was also perfect. But as we see it, as we look at it, as we let it read us instead of read it necessarily, uh, it makes us more into the image of Jesus. So it perfects us. And so uh, we love that because we believe that as God's word perfects us as God's word leads us into deeper understanding of who God is and who we are in light of that. It actually leads us into greater joy and greater pleasure. So if you're in this room wondering, um, are Christians prudes? Uh, We're the exact opposite of prudes. We're after greater pleasure than the world and we believe that you can find the greatest amount of pleasure in being found in God through the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. And so um, we're all about joy. We're all about pleasure. We're all about finding fullness of life, but not where culture would tell you to find it, where Christ would tell you to find it. And so um, on to that end, we've been walking through the book of Luke, the gospel account according to Luke. We're going to look to land the plane uh, on Easter Sunday. Uh, we're in chapter 17 right now. It's been great looking at the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, looking at uh, just all that he says, all that he does. And as we see that, we always say that we long to be transformed by this teaching. So um, we hope that none of this becomes just information you glean so you can leave knowing more. We hope that as you increase in your theology and your understanding of God, it increases in your doxology, which is your worship of God, which makes good biography, which is a worshipful life. So um, we're going to pray to that end. We're going to hope to that end. We're going to walk together towards that end. And so uh, in in Luke chapter 17, uh, we've been seeing Jesus with his face set towards Jerusalem, where he will give his life as a ransom for sin for those who would trust in his name. Uh, And it's been great seeing that as his face is set, he's still, as he's headed to the cross, he's been stopping, still healing, still preaching. And what he's been preaching is what he's always been preaching, which is what's known as the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God very fundamentally and simplistically is that, that there is a kingdom that is perfect with a perfect king. And, and that perfect king lets you into that kingdom only through the person and work of the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ. So you don't enter the kingdom of God through works. You don't enter the kingdom through synagogue worship and through church attendance and through prayer rhythms and through meditation of scripture. Even though those things are good things, they're a byproduct of a life made new in Jesus Christ. And so uh, he just wants you to know that. And so that's why as he's been teaching, as he's He's been healing as he's been preaching. There's a rift constantly with the religious. So as he, as he rubs shoulders with the religious, they don't like it because he attacks their heart. And the reason he's attacking their heart is because he knows he wants to go after their heart. If we're honest, I say a lot, we just want to be nicer people. We just want to try to learn morality. We want to learn how to be better, how to be good, how to work harder. When Jesus says, man, I want to go after your heart because that's when you start slapping his hand. Say, no, don't touch that. No, Jesus wants to touch it because that's where transformation occurs. And so we want to ask him by his grace to do that to us. And so here you're going to see um, an interaction where, if you remember back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus came across a leper who uh, he healed. But here we're going to see 10 of them, and we're going to see an interesting reaction to one of them. Uh, So verse 11, chapter 17, we're just going to jump right in. This is uh, Luke writing, on the way to Jerusalem, this is Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, verse 11, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy 
on us. Okay, so uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and, and just to know, he, he went to Jerusalem a number of times for ministry and different things, but this is his last time that he's actually going to Jerusalem to stay and be ransomed for sin, to die on the cross, to be buried for three days, to rise again victorious over Satan, sin, and death, to validate that he is who he said he would be and what he's done to come and do. And so he passes through Samaria and Galilee, and he enters a village like usual, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching and preaching, healing. These are normal things for Jesus. And in this specific occurrence, um, he's met as he enters this village by 10 lepers. Um, now, just to give you a, a brief handling on, on leprosy, I know we're not familiar with it much today, but um, it's a horrific disease. It, it's this rash that started out in your body, and that rash began to change over to really a, a debilitating illness where you had actually uh, sores growing on your body that formed pockets in your face and your body. Uh, there was a, a lot of loss of limbs just due to sheer desensitization. You were shunned and shamed from culture. We looked at as uh, dirty and diseased and vile. The religious especially wouldn't let you worship, wouldn't let you gather. Um, there were laws and rules and obligations according to you to keep you kind of the filth at bay, right, from the rest of society. And so um, lepers didn't bathe because it just hurt their sores too much. So there is, there's lots happening. Further, the prevailing thought was that if you had an illness or disease at all, that you were somehow cursed from God, not loved by God. So we've talked a lot about the disease is always seen as something you catch, something that can get on you, and not something that indwells you. It's seen as equal with sin, and so you must be punished. You must be disobedient. That must be why you're walking in this illness. And so this disease was so bad and so painful, not just physically, but socially, emotionally, religiously. These people were just abandoned by society. They were not touched by human beings. Many were not touched since whenever they had the disease. So imagine going your entire life not, being, not feeling physical touch from another human being, not experiencing affection just through conversation through love, through care, they were categorical, categorically in a place of a horrible life to live. And so it says, according to Luke, which is natural, they stood at a distance. They stood far off. So here's why. There's actually a law that said if you were a leper, you had to stand about 50 yards away from, from another human being who was clean, right? You're unclean, not clean. So imagine, they're like 50 yards from Jesus, which is why they have to yell out to him, hey, master, Jesus, hey, can you heal us? I mean, it's almost like they're trying to get his attention, hoping he will hear them. Now, your larynx, your, your throat got so disrupted through leprosy, it was actually hard to even talk. So this takes a lot of energy, a lot of boldness, a lot of courage just to say to Jesus, hey, can you heal me? They're trying to get his attention. They're trying to grab hold of Jesus. And it, I was just thinking about this. Um, just, there, there's so much imagery in this passage, right, 11 to 19, but I mean, shouldn't our just total awareness of our uncleanliness and his total impurity and infinite righteousness make us a bit like this when approaching Christ? That man, he would let me near him. He would let me approach him, right? Hebrews 4, the beauty of the Christian gospel is Hebrews 4 will say that if you are made new in Christ, if you have the cleansing work of Jesus on your behalf, you can approach his throne of grace with great confidence, that the most vile, impure can approach an infinitely pure God with total rights, total heritage in the kingdom of God. Amazing, amazing, amazing thought. And so this, here they yell at a distance, Master, have mercy on us. Now, um, the, that word for Master is only used in Luke, and it's really um, only used here. And it, it doesn't reference necessarily lordship, but more, hey, there's honor here. Hey, we, we've heard about you. We know that you can heal. We know you can do some things. I think we have a shot with them. 
right? I mean, word's been traveling now long enough. He's two and a half years into his ministry where I bet we could get something from Jesus here. I bet we could get a healing from him. Okay, this isn't necessarily saving faith, but there's a faith to a degree that Jesus can heal their disease. That's what you're seeing here in in their posture, in what they're saying. And they ask for mercy, because that was just a common reference from anybody who realized their desperate condition asked for mercy, have mercy on me. We've been seeing that all throughout Luke. So basically they're saying, hey, I've heard what you can do. Can you do it for us? Look at what happens in verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to a priest. Okay, not the answer you're really wanting, right? No, I asked you if you could heal me. Just like, go to a priest, right? Go, go heal yourself. Go see if the priest can demonstrate that you're clean. And as they went, they were cleansed. I love how just unexcited Luke is. <laughs> As these lepers are walking, they get cleansed. We'd be freaking out. We'd be throwing dust. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Okay, so, so here, let's, this is basically what's happening. If you look back at, at Leviticus 14, it's going to show you basically this understanding of and detailed instructions as to how someone who was healed with leprosy had to enter back into society. You had to go and actually be diagnosed by a priest, giving you a certificate saying, hey, you're clean, you can enter now. Because even at the, the Holy of Holies, even within the temple where they would worship, there was a whole wall for lepers that they couldn't go past, for those who were diseased, for those who were ill. And so you have in chapter 13, you have the, the priests that would give the diagnosis, and then in chapter 14, the ones who would certify the cure. <laughs> and what would happen in this whole situation is a, a leper would basically meet outside with a priest, and if he was clean, if he was seen as his disease was gone, he would have them basically honor that, then he would go and make a sacrifice. And in the sacrifice, they'd have two birds, right? And they would kill one and set one free. This was all to foreshadow the amazing future work of Jesus where he does what a theologically is called expiation, that he not only forgives your sin, but he removes it. He removes your guilt. And so these two birds would symbolize that where Jesus atones for our sin, being our substitute, removing our guilt. So Jesus sends them to the priest to be diagnosed with their leprosy. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look back in Luke 5, when he heals the leper, um, he heals him and then sends him to the priest. But here, he tells all 10, hey, guys, go to the priest, but they're not healed yet. Now, here's why that's interesting. No one wants to go to the priest knowing they're not healed for him just to tell them, hey, you're not clean. Like, no one wants that added shame. No one wants that to any degree. And so there is a measure of faith in these men, is it not? They're heading to the priest. They believe in some way they may be healed, that, that maybe Jesus, through telling them to go, maybe that's where it's gonna happen. We don't really know. We're not inside their heads. But they demonstrate to a measure some sort of faith, some sort of trust in Jesus. And Luke tells us, as they went, they were cleansed. <laughs> this is, if you, if you read the Gospels, read the Bible, this is what is most mind-boggling to me, is every time you see healings, it's just treated as normalcy. Because this is just what God does. I mean, it's like Luke, the writer, is going, yeah, this is the God. The God that heals, the God that redeems, the God that restores. Man, I'm going, can you imagine your life of leprosy with nine of your friends walking to see a priest, and as you're walking, all of a sudden you look over and go, dude, your sores are gone. Like you have no pockets in your face. You have no sores on your body. You're breathing right. You're talking with, with, with nothing out of your voice. I mean, we'd be freaking out. And Luke just says, and as they walked, they were cleansed. Another day in the neighborhood. 
because this is what God does. Nothing is hard for God. Nothing is surprising when God works. And then we have the great divide, don't we? Because all of them get healed. And then we see a separation. Profound here. Nine of them continue walking on to see the priest. One of them turns around and heads back to see the one who healed him. This is amazing. (laughs) I mean, and this guy is overjoyed, right? I mean, He's made new, literally. I mean, societally, emotionally, familiarly, he knows he can enter back into having a life that he never had before. I mean, lepers, when they were healed, actually would shave their head, shave their hair off their body, they would put on new clothes, they would literally look like they were a new person once they were certified as clean from the lepers, from the, from the priests who acknowledged that. And as they're walking and as their leprosy's gone, this guy walks back to Jesus. And as he's walking back to Jesus, he's just screaming out worship songs. Number one, his voice probably works properly now. So his larynx is functioning, so he can't believe it. So he's just screaming out praises to God, celebrating in worship that he's been healed. And he heads back all the way to Jesus. I mean, what this means for his life. He cannot believe not only that he's been healed from leprosy, but that he came face to face with the Jesus who can heal him of his leprosy of sin. That's what he's realizing. Amazing here. (laughs) Because only one of the men realized something deeper. Only one of them. The one goes, wait a second. I was with God himself back there. I was with the one who has a cure for my sin, not just my leprosy. He sees the deeper issue, the more profound issue And so he realizes he's been in the presence of God and he wants more than just a healing of leprosy. This is gonna be the theme in this whole passage. He wants Jesus. Like he wants to worship him. He doesn't just wanna thank him, he wants to worship Jesus for what he's done in his life, for making him new, not just cleansing him from leprosy, but literally knowing that he can make me new in my sin and my soul, that he's not just a healer, he's redeemer, he is God, he is king, he is restorer. He is reconciler. He does something that nobody else can. And then you see this posture of worship as he gets back to Jesus, falls on his face, demonstrating submission to the call of Jesus. I mean, here, this is Sunday morning. This is Sunday morning. We, We come in overjoyed at what God has done, that we've been made new, put in a family, forgiven of sin, guilt removed, atonement been made, substitutes stood in our place. We have our champion. We're given perfect righteousness. The debt is clean off the charts, right? We've got all that we have now, so we come in to worship and celebrate God for what he's done, right? I mean, this is Sunday morning. He's just redemonstrating what we do each Sunday, because the joy is welling up so profoundly in him. Now, now stop for just a second. Because the other nine, here's what happens for them. They keep going about their way. And here's what would happen. They would get to the priest, and the priest would say, you're clean. And then they go, okay, certificate. And then they would go make a sacrifice. And then they would go to the temple to worship God. But hold on a second. God's not there. God's back in the village. 
Right, Colossians 1 says the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in who? Jesus Christ. And this one man realizes, I'm not going to the synagogue to worship. I'm not going where the priests are. I'm going back to the village. I'm going to go worship God because he's not in the synagogue. He's not with the priests. He's not inside the camp. He's in the village back there. And the meanwhile, everybody else thinks, man, I'm going to get face-to-face with God. I'm going to celebrate. Meanwhile, he's the one who sees, no, God is back there. I'm going to be face-to-face with God who I just was with. And he goes back to be with Jesus and to worship Jesus. See, see, this is amazing. He realizes according to the scriptures, there's no third testament, right? We got two. We got old and new, and we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. So he has all that he needs in Jesus. Jesus is the temple of God. Right, and then we become the temple of God because he indwells us through his Holy Spirit, so we're the living temple, the scriptures call it. And so, so here you have all these amazing foreshadowings and realities being at play here in Luke chapter 17, 11 and 19, and he goes back because he realizes, I don't need to go to the synagogue, I don't need to go to the priest, I've got Jesus, I was just with him, and I know what he does, and I know what he's pos- capable of doing, and I know that all things that are impossible are possible with him, not just leprosy, but sin. So he goes back to worship Jesus. And I love how Luke just tags this. Oh, and he was a a Samaritan. Now, that's very key. And we've been looking at this for a long time in the Gospel according to Luke. The Samaritans were basically half-breed Jews, racially profiled, outcasts from society. They just did not like each other. So this is significant that Jesus shows that the Samaritan returns and the Jews do not. In fact, if you read like a lot of stories that Jesus gives, the Samaritan is often the hero. Showing that Jesus didn't come for religious people, he said earlier in Luke, he came for the sick, the unrighteous, who realize their need for a savior, not those who can just perform well. Not those who just outwardly have external morality, but those who realize they have a sin-sick heart internally and go after the disease and not just symptoms. So, so he, he shows us here, it's just profound what we see in the book of Luke and here noted, mentioning it's a Samaritan. And then this, this is just one thing on the side I thought of. Um, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Like these people never enjoyed life together, never crossed paths, or never associate. Yet here you see in this band, there was at least one Samaritan. Now why does this matter? This is an example of a great ruling of life. And I think a good one for our culture Because it was a common illness, a common misfortune that broke down all barriers of racial, ethnic, and status divide. All of them realized they were in need. In their leprosy, right? They're all together. You'll see this even in just wildlife. Right, you'll see animals when just a disaster hits, when flood just covers plains. You'll see animals get on a high cliff, peacefully together, who never would be together. Normally would be trying to kill each other, but are peacefully huddled up. What, what, what happens when we realize our illness? What happens when we have a common bond of sinners and one who is righteous? There's unity amidst our diversity, right? All of a sudden it breaks down, divides. That's why Ephesians and Galatians will say it broke down the wall of hostility. It's powerful to see this, that one of the things that should draw all people together is their common need for God. 
So this is what's amazing. When we, when we rally on Sunday mornings together in here, we're not rallying together based upon our status, based upon where we live, based upon the color of our skin, based upon our ethnicity, based upon our, our status. We're not rallying together on any of those things. We're rallying around together saying, hey, we are all sin sick with sin, desperately in need of a God who can cure it, and only Jesus can. So we all come together to celebrate him. We don't celebrate us. We say he's done well. We haven't done well. And that is the unifying factor amidst our diversity. And that makes the people of God beautiful and profound and earth-shattering to a culture that has nothing to unify them. They can search for it, strive for it, pray for it, but without the common need of being desperate in your condition, you'll never see the unity that only the gospel of Jesus Christ births into culture. And that's why especially now in our time and place as we walk and live, the church needs to ever so, ever so more shine brightly as we show and demonstrate this is what we're unified in. Man, we come together because of our common need. Not because we think we're cool together, but we had a good idea to just mix up this way. We all come in just fixed upon the desperate need, desperate condition, and that Jesus Christ is the one who makes us one. And now look at what Jesus says in verse 17. Look at how he answers. <laughs> then Jesus answered, <laughs> You can almost hear Jesus. Hey, weren't 10 cleansed? These are all rhetorical. Like, like, obviously he knows that 10 were cleansed. So he knows the answer to these questions. They're just rhetorical. They're a bit sarcastic. He's making a point. So Jesus goes, weren't, weren't 10 cleansed? I mean, I cleared out the whole hospital. <laughs> I didn't just clean out you. I mean, I didn't just fix you. I fixed everybody. I mean, where's the other 10? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus rhetorically says, shouldn't 10 be here? Valley Hospital's cleared, right? Hackensack Hospital, it's cleared. One person's coming back to thank me, the physician. The other nine... And this is, this is the hard reality of the scriptures and our human hearts and the proclivity of our souls. The other nine did not want Jesus. They simply wanted something from Jesus. Only one wanted Jesus. Only one wanted more than magic he could perform. Only one wanted more than something peripheral he could do for them. Only one wanted more than just circumstantial change. One of them realized I was just face to face with God incarnate. I was just walking with Christmas morning. These other nine, go see the priests. I'm going back to God himself. I'm going back to Jesus himself. They use, the other nine, they use Jesus as a pathway to something else. Hear me, friends. Jesus is a pathway to Jesus. Like, I, I've heard so many explanations of the gospel out there. I don't claim to be the guy who, like, has everything figured out. I'm just saying there are a lot that are way off track because Jesus is not a pathway to anything outside of Jesus. 
Like, like that, that's what's amazing. That's actually the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he is a God that brings you back to himself, reconciliation with himself because that is where greatest glory will be given to his name and that's where greatest joy will be found for your soul. And so he shows that Jesus is a pathway to Jesus. This guy gets it because the one who's made new in the cross of Jesus Christ realizes that in the cross of Jesus Christ, that's where the glory itself is. So here's the thing, you get saved, right? I don't know when it happened for you, whenever you trusted in the personal work of Jesus, you realized you were sinful, you realized you had belittled his name, you realized you were in rebellion against the God of the universe and that you had no way to make it right, no way to pay your debt, no way to be righteous. You hear, you, hear, you see, you read, you were taught, you were told that Jesus Christ alone is your champion, is your righteous substitute, is the one who walks for you, is obedient for you, forgives for you, whatever it is, you place trust in his name alone, you're forgiven, slate's clean, righteousness is given, takes all of that on himself, wrath is absorbed, he kills it all, rises again, then he says, hey, you're putting my family with a good father, good dad, that will perfectly treat you, care for you, it's never punitive, it's always formative in my discipline, and that person, here's the thing, when you get saved by that gospel, you're being saved to that gospel. Like, you're not being saved by that gospel to now move on to better things. You're literally being saved into the personal work of Jesus to where you can further walk and glory in it and embrace it and celebrate it and learn about it. This is profound. That the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that you're just forgiven of sin and you're credited righteousness. It's that you get to see it and walk in it and glory in it and be changed by it every single minute that you wake up in the morning. And only one of the nine realized this. Only one of the lepers who was cleansed realizes what he had in Jesus. The other nine said, cool, I got what I wanted, and I'm going to carry about my way. They did not want Jesus. They wanted healing. So maybe some of us come in here and go, well, Pastor Mike, I'm new to this whole thing, new to Christianity, or maybe you've even been walking with Jesus apparently for a while, and you go, hey, I mean, what do I get for following Jesus? Jesus. Now, now, for some of us, right, you hear that and you go, that's it? That's it? I mean, look, look, yeah, I know, I know, I get, I get forgiveness of sin, I know, I get, I get credited the righteous life of Jesus. I know, I no longer have to face eternal torment separated from God. I know that I actually have wrath removed so it does not fall on me, the right, just payment that I deserve for sin. No, I get, I get that I get this whole new family. I get that I get everlasting riches in Jesus Christ. But, but I mean, what, what else? That's what you're saying. And understand, brothers and sisters, This is always what he's promised you. He's always promised you himself, always. That is the only guarantee that he has given you. I mean, what's the promise according to the New Testament if you remain in him, what? He'll remain in you. You have the Great Commission, Matthew 28, one of the most just profound, majestic texts that tells us to go out baptizing, celebrating the name and renown of Jesus, man, preaching the good news of the gospel. But what is the promise that buttons up everything that Jesus wants you to know? And I'm with you always. Even at the end of the age, you got me. Even when things go sour, you got me. Even when things get difficult, you got me. That's the beauty of the promise. 
Now, he might work, we may baptize, we might celebrate, but you have him. You have him to the very end of the age. Jesus' promise to you and me is Jesus. The reward is himself. That is the Christian gospel. Now, the question that the Christian always needs to wrestle with is, is that enough for us? Right? I mean, that's the, that's the fundamental question that every Christian has to work through and wrestle with as we gaze at the word of God and are reminded that Christ is enough, that he is sufficient, that he is rich, that he is all-powerful, that yes, he can heal, that yes, he can restore, that he does all of those things, but is he enough for our souls? When our souls get restless and they get filled with angst and we run after trinkets and toys and treasures that do not match his matchless worth, is he enough for us? And God graciously, only through the good news of Jesus Christ in his great gospel, does he slowly Gently, lovingly, constantly lure you back to him. This is what Paul does. Just read all of his letters. First Corinthians is my favorite. Guys, I'm just going to remind you what I keep reminding you and keep telling you. The gospel. That Christ died for sins. That he was buried. This is of first importance. If anything else that I will ever say, this is of first importance. And we need to ask ourselves if this is enough for us because churches are filled with people who do not want Jesus. They simply want something from Jesus. Filled. And so there's this building up of your faith on blocks that break. Right? So, so you're, I mean, just filled with empty promises. So hey, if you trust Jesus, then all is going to change here. All is going to be fixed here. All's gonna, now it might. God can be gracious. God absolutely has the power and authority to invade that space. We should pray for it. We should want it. We should aggressively go after it. But at the end of the day, when that does not work out, we are not broken. We are not shattered because we stand on something that's ever sure, ever stable, everlasting, which is Jesus Christ alone. If you don't have him, then everything else you stand on, the bricks will break. And so people walk into churches all the time just wanting something from Jesus. So, so here is the mentality of, okay, well, man, I'll come to church or I'll follow Jesus if he fixes my marriage situation here or I'll follow Jesus if he provides a spouse for me. Yeah, I'll follow Jesus if he gets me more friends and makes me popular or puts me in a crowd that I feel like I could fit into. I mean, just the list goes on. I'll take Jesus if, and guys, remember, the biblical gospel, the, follow to, the call to follow Jesus that we've been reading throughout the gospel of Luke, there is nothing you'll see in that. It's not, I'll follow Jesus if that, if that, if that. We see every person Jesus comes into contact with who he says that to doesn't want him. The biblical gospel is, I will follow Jesus even if. Even if it's hard. Even if it is difficult, even if the pathway for me is paved with deep hurt and deep suffering. Jesus has to be enough for me. He has to be, or he's a faulty savior. His cross has to proclaim his greatness and renown in that way, or he is not sufficient to take care of any bit of your needs. If he alone is not enough, so that is what we try to walk in together. We try to plead together. Maybe some of you come in here and you think that, man, attending church, man, it's just going to boost my self-image. Praise God. But that's not the goal. The goal is not you having some cute teachings that just make you look better or make you feel better. It's not about you looking inside your soul to find something to renew you. It's about looking outside of yourself at something that was done for you with no help from you 
and no asking of you, 2,000 years ago in the cross of Jesus Christ who says, I'm going to purchase you through my death and resurrection. And you get drawn in and satisfied and secure based upon that and that alone. You did not ask me for it. In fact, you were in rebellion when I did it, according to the scriptures. You were in your sin when he did it. It's about an intense power that raised Christ from the dead that can be made alive in us. And how often does this type of response come from the one it's least expected from? I mean, Jesus references this guy as the foreigner. Really, this is the one who's going to come back? I mean, the guy who wasn't used to church, the guy who wasn't in the synagogue every day, the guy who wasn't learning his prayers, the foreigner, the Samaritan, that's the guy that came back? That's the guy that realizes all that he's been given in Jesus? He's supposed to be outside the covenant. Wait, that guy's supposed to be outside the people of God. He doesn't get all the promises. Oh, no, yes, he does. In Jesus Christ. Tribe, tongue, nation that bends their knee to Jesus can be saved. It's no longer just an Israelite thing, it's a global thing. Where salvation will spread, which is why we're called to go, which is why we're called to give praise to the goodness of this great gospel. And here, the irony, the one who was kept outside the camp, the one who was kept outside the Holy of Holies, the one who couldn't get in to meet God face to face, is the only one standing face-to-face with God while everybody else thinks they're face-to-face with God. So over the religious, go about your way, go to the priests, enjoy it. There's one who realizes salvation can be had, and it's here. Amazing. And Jesus says to him, you can get up. Go fulfill your law. I know, go see the priest. Let him give you a certificate. Show that you're healed. Show that you're cleansed. Your faith has made you well. That is huge. (laughs) Not your faith that I can heal you of leprosy. Your faith in who I really am and in you wanting me and not just healing. Your faith in what I have done to heal your leprosy of sin, something far worse than leprosy of life. And notice, guys, that it was his faith that saved him. It wasn't his love that saved him. It wasn't his worship that saved him. It wasn't him just being devout that saved him. None of those things saved him. It was his faith alone that saved him. It wasn't even his gratitude that saved him. Like nothing you can appeal to. It solely shows here that it's always about faith. It's about who your faith is in. It's not about how strong your faith is. It's who is the object of your faith. And his faith was in who? Jesus. His faith was in Jesus. That's where he placed it. That's where he laid it. That's where he put all of the weight in Jesus. I want to end here by just drilling a bit deeper. Um, Josephus, a first century historian, he says that um, lepers were basically to be treated as just dead men. Right, societally, emotionally. It was basically the next thing to touch in a dead body. So this is what you feel. So, so getting near lepers is the worst form of defilement. We talked about how they were barred from the city. 
If a leper ever walked into a town or a village or a synagogue, it went in a small room called a maketza. It's for isolation. Like a modern day prison cell. Until everybody left and he was let out. Treated like an animal. Amazing. Imagine, though, that you are like this. You have not felt physical touch in years. You're viewed as a dead body. Your life consists of shaming and shunning. You're horribly disfigured, horribly ugly, pockets worn in your face and your head, open sores, religiously isolated, socially isolated, economically isolated, no family, no job, no friends, no worship, no hope. That's your life. This is a wonderful illustration of us dead in our sin. This is a wonderful illustration of what we desperately need and seeing ourselves in this state because lepers are thought to be cursed from God. They can't receive grace from God. They're to be kept out. (laughs) And amazing, as they're to be avoided, this is a new day for this man. His eyes are opened. His eyes are open to man. I am literally given a new life. I'm literally physically healed, spiritually, emotionally, literally even functionally, even you know, uh, ethnically and socially. Things are new for me, right? That's why I love it. God puts you in a church, puts you in his church when he saves you. He doesn't just save you to himself. He saves you to a people. You're given a family that's ruled perfectly by Jesus Christ, the ever-perfect head, brother or sister. If you are here this morning aware of the dirty, vile, unworthy nature of sin, Jesus loves to get in that space. And he loves to go after you. He loves to see you renewed. He loves the broken and contrite heart. He loves those who realize, okay, I'm not just in this for something else, I'm in this for Jesus. Like, that's what unifies us. I mean, that's why if you read Leviticus 13, you'll see a person who had some infectious disease when they weren't allowed outside the camp. They actually had to walk up. Now, the reason they weren't allowed outside the camp was to demonstrate the chasm of our sin and uncleanliness and God's total cleanliness and holiness and purity. And so every time they would come up to the camp, you know what they had to yell? Unclean. Unclean. You want to know why? So people would run. And here's what we do, brothers and sisters, on Sunday morning. We run into this room going, unclean, unclean. And Jesus says, spotless. Clean. That's what Jesus says. Every Sunday we run in, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And every Sunday we're reminded here together that Jesus says, through song, through Lord's Supper, through preaching, through fellowship, through prayer, clean approach the infinite perfections that are God with full authority and joy like this man because he's made us clean. That is why 1 John will say he doesn't just forgive you of your sin. He cleanses you, right? You'll see that all throughout the scriptures. That's why I think for a moment and maybe this is hard for some of you Honestly, because you think you're really good. But try to think of the moment, the moment, the time, the place, the situation where you just realized in the bottom of your soul, dirty, like 
not righteous, not good. I mean, go as far as you can go, as deep as you could ever go, as dark as it could ever get. Let that cloud loom over your head, feeling the full weight of unworthiness, of shame, and in that space, Jesus says to you and me, his cross and his person, and then he says, you're mine. You're mine. Profound. Profound. Because here's why that's so profound. When he did that, you weren't starting to get moral. I mean, I, I've heard so many testimonies. Of like, well, then I started kind of like thinking God was a cool idea and pursuing, and then it's like, then he looked more favorably. <laughs> no, no, you were in that shameful, deepest, darkest place you can conceive of in your soul, and that is when, according to the inspired scriptures, God said, I want you. Your mind. I mean, that's, you, you have got to get here. You've got to get here because otherwise you're going to constantly walk this tandem line of, well, I kind of did some good stuff. Then he thought I was pretty. Then he thought I'd be a good pick. So then he grafted me into the kingdom. Then he made me mine. No, there's no future version of you that he's in love with. There's no down the road that he thought of. He saw you, according to the book of Romans, in your sin, in your sickness, dead estate possible, ugliest of ugly, and he still said, I'm going to clothe you with the righteousness of my son and make you holy, spotless, and blameless, and above reproach before me. Profound. And so we just sit in that. Then we come in and celebrate that. And that is why this is what we get on Christmas morning. There are a lot of things this time of year that are going to be a poor substitute for that. We're going to have to fight and rail against those things. Because here's my great fear for all of us. We're going to be like the nine that just head on to the priests and forget to turn back and go to Jesus. And what we're going to do is live our lives in such a way that says, look at how I gave my life to him. Look at how he's healed me. Look at how he's forgiven me. Look at how. As if you've done well. You haven't done well. He's done well. Let's ask him to remind us of that today. God, thank you that you are the God that does it all. And God, because you do it all, you put our hearts in a place that can humbly and loudly exalt the name and renown of Jesus Christ. God, thank you that in you we are made new, we are cleaned, we are forgiven. Our debt is paid, blood was shed, body was broken, resurrection was had, so that we could walk in newness of life. God, thank you for healing us of the most necessary of what we needed healing from. Thank you for grace that is scandalous, that is otherworldly, that does not make even sense to us at times in our minds and walks. God, would you ignite our hearts with an understanding of this? Would you illuminate minds to be able to give great joy and exaltation to this? Would you protect us from Sunday morning becoming normal, becoming mundane? Would we be like the one who constantly remembers how he's been found, how he's been healed? And might that be demonstrative in our worship together? God, thank you for giving us you. Thank you that you promise us you. Help us to understand more fully why you are enough, 
why you are sufficient. And God, as we observe the Lord's Supper and are reminded of your body broken, blood being shed, might we be nourished by faith remembering this is what accomplished our salvation and this is what we continue to find security in and identity in. Thank you for the table. Thank you that it doesn't give righteousness but reminds us of righteousness of one who did. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.